Look, American presidents really have an odd way of detailing or revealing or announcing very important news. In many other countries, um, like South Africa, in the UK, the president or the prime minister would call a, a, a press conference or there'll be what's called a media gaggle saying, please all gather here, the president's going to say something of, of importance and they'll probably be uh, a lectern and there'll be maybe a briefing document in which the president or the prime minister will make an important announcement. But American President Joe Biden, he was in an ice cream shop. He was at the Van Leeuwen's ice cream shop in New York, revealing some very important news of the ongoing war in Gaza. This is what he said. Can you give us a sense of when you think that ceasefire will start, sir? Well, I hope by the, the beginning of the weekend. I mean, the end of the weekend. At least my, my, my national security advisor tells me that we're close. We're close. It's not done yet. And my hope is by next Monday, we'll have a ceasefire. By next fire, we will probably have a ceasefire. Joe Biden says as he's holding an ice cream cone, what looks like a, a vanilla bean ice cream. But it's very good news. In the meantime, the International Court of Justice has been hearing presentations from more than 50 nations on the legal consequences of Israel's occupation of the West Bank, East Jerusalem and, and Gaza. There have been um, presentations from countries like uh, Ireland, Jordan, Iran, China's foreign ministry also giving their presentation to the international criminal international court of justice rather united states and and hungary who spoke to the icj on wednesday have been among a small number of countries who have stood with israel's position and have asked the court not to issue any advisory op uh, opinion on this matter joining us now is janet anderson who has been covering uh, the international court of justice at the hague for some time now she joins me now on the line good morning janet really appreciate your time briefly tell us how these hearings came about why they're happening now and what is the aim after south africa's initial case before the icj a few weeks ago morning lester thanks for having me um this uh set of hearings actually originated more than a year ago when another bit of the un that's the general assembly where all of the states are said hey international court of justice can you give us some advice on what is going on in Israel-Palestine. Is this occupation, which has been going on for 75 years now, is this actually legal? And then you have the opportunity for, as you say, more than 50 countries and different organizations to weigh in and everybody has their 30 minute presentation. Palestine got a bit longer and they all have their legal documents that they add in as well. And everybody has a different point of view. Then it will be over to the judges to decide what their perspective is. It's completely separate mm. from the genocide case that South Africa has brought at the ICJ. But, but how does this case brought by South Africa against Israel impact on these hearings over the last few days? I think the judges would say that they are uh, completely separate and they're going to consider them separately. I think more what is connective tissue between the two different things is what is going on in Gaza at the moment. That's the reason why South Africa brought its genocide case against Israel. And that is the kind of the drumbeat that's going on behind this consideration of whether occupation is legal or illegal is. I mean, the judges are not immune from seeing what is actually happening in Gaza at the moment.
What have been some of the stances of many of the countries who have made their presentations over the last few days? Yesterday, Spain made representations. We've had China, we've had Jordan, we've had Iran, we've had um, uh, Ireland making presentations. I don't want you to, to cover all 50 presentations, but just the <laughs> summary of what has been some of the tone in the presentations before the ICJ. I think you have a broad swathe of uh, the international community, which is a very wide representation. You have a lot of countries from Africa, for example, taking part and a lot from the Middle East. Um, and you've got this broad consensus that there is something that is wrong at the moment. Some of them have framed it um, according to the problems under the apartheid convention. Namibia, for example, went down that track. Um, some have talked about uh, the right of self-determination. Palestine set the tone on that and others have picked that up. And then you have a few countries. I mean, it really is a tiny minority. It's United States, Hungary, and I think Fiji, if I remember correctly, who will say, you know, don't worry, we should be just carrying on with um, letting the Security Council do its work and come up with some kind of solution that way. And you should not deal with this. The United Kingdom is also a little bit in that camp, but they were more saying, hey, you know, this is just too big for the ICJ to deal with, for the lawyers to deal with. Uh, why don't you reformulate the questions, uh, judges, so that you just rule very narrowly on that? Um, Israel has boycotted the hearings, I understand, that arguing that the ICJ lacks jurisdiction and that the intent of those seeking a ruling was to deprive the Jewish state of a, of a right to to self defense and 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 self determination as a as a Jewish state in in in, in the Middle East. Well, will the absence from the this hearing have any bearing on the position, the final position on the ICJ? No, I don't think it will have any bearing in the end. Um, I mean, their absence was only a kind of physical absence, as you say, they did put in some legal arguments, some I mean, bare legal arguments, just four pages worth where you compare it to the 200, 300 pages worth of legal arguments put in by the Palestinian side. And what I think some observers have suggested is that if Israel had appeared, it wouldn't have played very well domestically back home because uh, you have a relatively right-wing government at the moment who um, are quite regularly saying things about there being no negotiations, no possibility of a two-state solution, uh, etc. And really, if they wanted to, to prevent that, present their legal arguments in the International Court of Justice, they would have had to have been based on those kind of you know, ideas that there's a negotiated path, and that would have been really difficult politically. So what happens if, say, um, the ICJ returns an opinion that Israel's occupation of the West Bank and Gaza is in fact deemed illegal? We've spoken, you and I, before on um, jurisdiction of the ICJ and whether and whether rulings are in fact binding. What if an opinion is returned that Israel's actions are indeed illegal? What then in terms of Israel abiding by that ruling? This is a legal opinion that they come up with. It's not a judgment. It's not binding in, in any measure, but it is the highest court in um, the world. And therefore, a lot of people will pay attention 
to it and uh, what it says will kind of seep down into all kinds of um, politics and negotiations. Um, will it actually have very much effect beyond that? I I don't know. Um, I, I kind of doubt it, as always. And of course, uh, yesterday was also the day that uh, Israel was meant to provide its first report back to the ICJ under the binding provisional measures that the ICJ has put on it in the genocide case that South Africa has brought. That hasn't been made public, what Israel has had to say, but we're all waiting to see, in fact, whether that really important case also has any effect um, on what is going on on the ground. Really appreciate your time, uh, Janet Anderson of the Justice Connection, who covers the International Criminal uh, International Court of Justice. Rather, there's also the International Criminal Court based at the Hague. Really appreciate your time.